Well, I too want to wish all of you moms a happy Mother's Day weekend. And I sure hope that you feel special and cared for and loved by your children, but also your family, your friends who love you most. You know, I tried briefly to make a connection between Mother's Day and the text that we're looking at today. And you know what? There's absolutely no possible connection to be made between Jesus driving out demons from two demon-possessed men and Mother's Day. And so I'm not even trying to do that. Um, Happy Mother's Day, all of you moms. And we're going to move on to our text today. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8 starting at verse 28 to 34. And so if you have a Bible with you in the room that you're watching in, great. If not, just get up from wherever you are. Go grab a Bible, bring it back, because we're gonna, we, we, I need you to have this in front of you for our time together. As you know, before Christmas, we began looking at the gospel of Matthew, and we're working our way through the whole gospel. And our hope and our goal is that as we look at this gospel, that you and I, that all of us would, would develop a renewed appreciation, a renewed understanding for Jesus, his words, the things that he taught us, the truths that he communicated to us, the ways that he lived his life as well, how he lived in community and his works, the works that Jesus did. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the miracles that Jesus performed, and we're going to be looking at one today as well. And what we see specifically is that in Jesus' works, in his miracles, he communicates his identity, who he is. He communicates the extent of his power that he has and the nature of his authority. And our passage today is no different. What we'll see in this text today is that Jesus holds within himself supreme, total, ultimate power, ultimate authority. What we'll see as well is that he's motivated by love and compassion. He meets two demon-possessed men and he frees them from their captivity, and he he actually saves them into a new way of life. Picking up from a couple of weeks ago, Ashwin taught us about um, Jesus and his disciples and how they were traveling from the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They were traveling to the west side. They left the shoreline. They got into their fishing boats. They set sail. While they were traveling, Jesus falls asleep. A storm comes up. The disciples are afraid. They wake up Jesus. Jesus stands up, and he speaks to the wind and the waves, and And everything becomes calm. They keep traveling to the east side. And then we come to verse 28 here in Matthew chapter 8. When he, this is Jesus and his disciples, arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? Pay attention to this. We're going to come back to this in a moment. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? See, the topic of demon possession doesn't come up very often in my conversations that I have with others. And I'm sure as well in the conversations you have, the topic of angels and Satan and demons doesn't come up either very often. There's only been one time in my life quite a few years ago, where in the room that I was in, I felt a very real presence of evil. Hasn't happened since then. My dad believes that he encountered two angels over his lifetime, and this was a long time ago as well. One angel helped him, another angel prayed for him to be healed, and he was healed. 
But we don't often talk about Satan. We don't talk about the times that we're tempted. We don't talk about the ways that Satan and his demons attack us. We don't talk about how we feel tempted and pulled towards sin at times. We don't talk about these sorts of things. But from this passage here in Matthew chapter 8, we see that demons are real. Evil is real. What we see first of all as well is that Jesus has authority and power over evil. Jesus has total authority and power over evil that is in this world. See, the source of evil in this world is directly from Satan, directly from his demons as well, and the strategies and the lies and the deceptions that they carry with them. The attack that they bring on humankind can take so many different forms. Demonic attacks can sometimes manifest themselves like they do with these two men that Jesus encounters in possession. Attacks from Satan and his demons can also take other forms that are much more subtle, much more subtle. In ways such as apathy or anger or lust or despair or depression. Much more subtle ways that we're tempted The truth is, the reality is that Satan and his demons will use any devious and cunning strategy possible to influence us away from loving devotion to God. And that's Satan's goal. Move us away from loving devotion to God. C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters, suggests that when we think about Satan and his demons, we can either fall into one of two errors in the way that we think about Satan and his demons. The first is this, that we can completely disregard and dismiss Satan, evil, and demons absolutely altogether. Some people believe that there is no such uh, being as Satan, no such being as demons. There's a, a line from an old movie that says the greatest trick that the devil has played is to convince the world that he does not exist. You see, to believe that Satan does not exist is a lie. And that's one error that Lewis raises for us. The other error that we can fall into is actually becoming overly fascinated, overly obsessed with knowledge and about the activity of Satan and his demons. And Lewis says, for us, a healthy approach is to not fall into either of these two errors, but really have a healthy understanding of who Satan is and his demons and their activity in the world. And so what are some things that we know about demons? I just want to point out a few, and there's so much more we don't know, but we do know a couple of things. First of all, demons are created beings. Originally created by God as angels to serve God and carry out his will in the world. This was their original intent. But they fell from their angelic position and are now fighting against God's will, fighting against God's rule in this world. They are enemies of God. We know as well about demons that they have limited power, limited power, limited influence, limited knowledge. Even Satan, their leader, has limited knowledge, limited power, limited influence, and limited by God himself. We know as well that demons will continue to oppose God and his plan for this world until the final judgment when they will be destroyed. You see, Satan and demons know that they're fighting a losing battle and they're bent on committing as much destruction in the lives of human beings as possible while they still have time. Because of this, because even demons know 
that Jesus has ultimate supreme authority and power over them, over Satan, over evil. Let's go back to our text here for just a moment. You see, when Jesus steps off the shore, off the lake, he's met my two demon-possessed men. And this is what they say. They say this. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You see, the demons knew Jesus' name. They knew his title. They knew where he came from, where he originated from. They knew his divinity. They knew his identity. They knew the power that he had over them. And they also knew that there was a time in the future, not an arbitrary time, not a time that no one knew about, but an appointed, a set time, an established time in the future where they would be destroyed. Their time was coming to an end and they knew that and they knew Jesus. They knew about him. See, an observation that I want to make here is a lot of people know about Jesus. They know some things that are even true about Jesus. They have knowledge of Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with him. They don't have personal knowledge of Jesus. They haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus to serve him and love him and be in relationship with him. And my gentle challenge to you, my gentle encouragement to you, is don't just know about Jesus. Just don't know some truths about Jesus. Even demons know that. Move from knowing about Jesus to truly knowing him, having a relationship with him serving him, loving him, hearing him speak to you, knowing him through his word. Move in that direction. Maybe you need some help with that. And I want to encourage you, if you do need some help, join our Alpha group that's starting just uh, um, next week here. Join that group. That would be one step that you could take to help you move from knowing about Jesus to really truly knowing him. But make that step while, while there's still time. That's my gentle challenge encouragement to you. Now we're going to go back to verse 30 here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 30. Some distance from them, where all this was taking place, Jesus and his disciples, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Died in the water. Matt Carter makes this observation. His observation is this. Jesus didn't call on a higher power to drive out the demons from these men. You see, in the ancient days, uh, exorcism was practiced. In ancient literature, there was a lot written about exorcism and casting out demons, driving out demons. This was practiced often and in other parts of the world practiced as well. But when people would try and drive out demons, cast out demons, they would always call on a higher power. They would always call on a higher authority. And based on that, their power, this other higher authority, higher power, based on their power, the demons then would be driven out and would leave. But here's the thing. Jesus simply says one word, go. He doesn't call on a higher power. He doesn't call on a higher authority. Why is that? Because Jesus is the highest power. 
mean, he's the highest authority. There's no one greater to call on to drive out these demons. See, he's not only the highest authority and highest power in the physical realm, but it also the spiritual realm. He's the king over both the natural world that we saw two weeks ago in calming the storm, and he's also the king over the supernatural world. Jesus is the highest authority. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the implications for us. You don't need to be afraid of Satan or his demons. You don't need to be afraid. Now we need to guard ourselves against the attack of Satan. We need to guard ourselves against his, his schemes and his strategies. The Bible says we need to put on the whole armor of God to protect ourselves against Satan and his demons and their attacks for us. But we don't need to be afraid because we're reminded in 1 John 4, verse 4. We're reminded about this. You, dear children, are from God. You're from God. You're born of God. Your identity is in God. You're kept by God. You're protected. You are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, Jesus in you by his spirit is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who's in the world, Satan and his demons. The one who's in you is greater than in the world. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus is the highest power. He has ultimate authority and power over all evil. Second reality we're confronted with from this passage is this. First, Jesus has authority and power over evil. Second, Jesus isn't afraid of brokenness. He's not afraid of brokenness. See, evil in this world always brings around brokenness, always brings about brokenness in the lives of people. And eventually brokenness leads to destruction and ultimately to death. The two men that Jesus met, we read some things about them. The circumstances, the situation they found themselves in. First is they lived in tombs. They lived among the dead. They lived in an isolated graveyard. This was home for them. They lived in a place that smelled like death, that looked like death, a dark place, a lonely place that no one would visit, a place of sorrow, a place of isolation, no shelter, no place to belong. This is where they lived. This was home for them. I mean, what would break a person so much? What would happen in their life that a place that they would be okay to live was in a graveyard? We know as well that they were violent. So much so that everyone was afraid of them, avoided them, didn't want any contact with them, didn't go that direction. What's interesting is Mark and Luke provide for us a parallel passage here of this same account. And they focus their observations on one of the individuals. Matthew focuses on both of these individuals, these men. Mark tells us that because of the fear that these demonized men caused for the townspeople and the surrounding people, Um, people had tried to bind them with chains. Chains around their hands, chains around their feet, and bind them. But these men were so violent and so strong that they broke these chains, and it was not possible to subdue them any longer. In fact, no one was more powerful than they were. Mark also tells us that they cried out all day and all night, cried out loud, and cut themselves with stones. Not only were they violent towards other people, but they were violent towards themselves. 
pain and self-harm became a distraction and comfort for them. Luke tells us that they hadn't worn clothes in a long time. They had no comfort, no protection from the rain, the wind, the sun, sticks, stones. They had no clothes to cover their nakedness. They had lost all of their dignity. To add to all of this, their brokenness, their circumstances, their situation, to add to all of this, these men were possessed by many demons. Mark records Jesus speaking directly to the demon and asking them, the demon, their name or his name. The demon replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. You see, the word legion was a Roman military word used to describe a regiment of uh, Roman soldiers, numbering from about 3,500 to 6,000. That's how many um, uh, soldiers were in a legion. Now, only Jesus knows exactly the spiritual state of these men. But we can assume that these men were tormented and oppressed by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of demons. Their family had probably disowned them. The townspeople perhaps ridiculed, mocked them from a distance. These men lived daily in hopelessness and loneliness and fear. No knowledge of love, no knowledge of compassion, no knowledge of a savior, no one to deliver them from the spiritual darkness that they were in. They were broken. Absolutely and utterly broken in every way possible. Broken relationships, broken mentally, broken spiritually, broken bodies, broken hearts, broken hope, broken life. Their life was literally hell on earth. Can you imagine anything worse than their broken experience, their broken existence? And no one to help them. And everyone is afraid of them. Everyone's afraid of them, except Jesus, except Jesus. He's not afraid of them. He's not troubled by these men and their situation. He's not afraid of them. He's not afraid of what's causing them pain and sorrow. He doesn't see them as a lost cause. He doesn't see them as broken beyond repair. He's not put off by their smell, by their nakedness, by their cuts, by their scars. He's not afraid of their strength that they appear to have. He's not afraid of the hundreds, possibly thousands of demons that live in them. He's not afraid of being made unclean. I mean, a Jewish rabbi crossing to a Gentile territory, not only that, but going to, to talk and interact with people from, that lived in a graveyard. Jesus was not afraid of being unclean. He's not afraid of their brokenness. Here's my point. He's not afraid of their brokenness. And Jesus isn't afraid of your brokenness. Jesus isn't afraid. He's not put off by how messed, I messed up your life has been or how messed up your life is currently. He's not put off by how messed up my life is because we are all broken. We're all broken people in one way, shape, or form or another. We've all experienced some level of brokenness, some level of suffering under the effects of evil, under the effects of sin that maybe have been put on us or that we ourselves have committed and done. And I want you to know this. You are not a lost cause. You are not beyond repair. 
Your situation, your sin, your anger, your addiction, your mode of coping with reality, your mode of escaping reality, your drug of choice to make you feel good, your broken promises, your broken view of yourself, whatever it is, whatever it is, Jesus is not afraid. Jesus is not afraid of it. He's not afraid of your brokenness. It's not too much for him. It's not too much for him. You see, whatever it is that comes to your mind that makes you maybe ask these questions or make these comments such as, will Jesus love me? Is he strong enough to help me? Am I too far down this road that he can't help me? Maybe he'll be disappointed with me. Maybe you think at times I've done this again. I said I wouldn't, but I've done this again. I've used up all my chances. Maybe that's a phrase that you think in your mind. Maybe you've thought the strongholds of sin in my life are too strong. Or I've been living this way for far too long. If any of these thoughts have come to your mind, know this, know this. Your brokenness, your sin, the evil that perhaps you've allowed into your life doesn't phase him one bit. Doesn't phase him at all. In fact, he wants you to come to him. He wants to meet with you around all of these things. Questions, wonderings that you have about him, about his love for you, his reception of you, and his invitation for you. He wants you to seek him. Because here's the thing. See, the Bible doesn't lay this out clearly. But I wonder why Jesus left the east, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, traveled through a storm, got to the east side. What are the chances that as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat and he puts his feet on the shore, that right there in that span of shoreline, there's two demon-possessed men? I don't think that's chance. I think Jesus went after them. I think Jesus knew they needed his help. And he wasn't afraid of their brokenness. Why do I think that? Because at the end of this passage here, Jesus and his disciples hop back in the boat and go to the other side. They had only one appointment on that side of the lake. Jesus is not, he's not afraid of your brokenness. So maybe, as we've been talking, maybe some things have stirred up in your life and you say, Kent, you know what I do? I need to address some things. I need to address some sin. I need to address brokenness, whatever it is in my life. I need to deal with some things here. Well, I want to encourage you, do that. Do that. Don't wait. Talk to, to Jesus about these things. Address them. Talk to him. Bring them to him. Lay them before him. Just vent to him about all these things. Don't wait. Don't wait. We were never meant to participate with evil. We were never meant to participate with evil. We were never meant to live in a graveyard. We were meant for so much more than that. And here's why. Because Jesus has the power to heal and restore us to life. Jesus has the power to heal and restore us to life. You see, we see in this text here, the legions of demons are driven out simply by Jesus saying, go. Just one word from Jesus and everything changed in the lives of these men. 
They were finally free from being tormented, free from being oppressed, free from being recaptivated by these demons. And when the people taking care of the pigs saw this herd run into the lake, they saw how Jesus has healed these men, restored them to their right mind. Matthew chapter 8, 33 says this, says this. Those tending the pigs ran off. They went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, look at this. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. We're going to come back to the beginning here, but they pleaded with him to leave their region. Why? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why. But here's what I know sometimes. It's easier. It's easier at times to stay where you are, to stay in your current circumstances, to deal with what you know, than to step out in faith and to trust in Jesus. It's easier to stay than step out in faith and trust in Jesus and allow him to change and work in your life because things change then. And sometimes we're afraid of that. My encouragement to you is don't be like the townspeople and say, Jesus, I'm going to stay in my brokenness. I'm going to stay in my circumstances, my situation here. Leave. Don't do that. Run towards Jesus because he has the authority and the power to heal you and restore you to life. Mark tells us a little bit about more about how these men appeared, right? When all the townspeople came to see Jesus and they, this is what they saw. This is what they saw. They see the demon-possessed men where? Sitting. Sitting in the company of Jesus and his disciples and sitting at Jesus' feet. The townspeople had never seen these men sit still before. I mean, to keep them in one place long enough, they had to use chains and shackles on their arms and their ankles to keep them in one place, and even that didn't work. Now, these men are sitting at Jesus' feet, equals to his disciples, sitting in community, How amazing is that? Sitting in community. And the imagery here of of them sitting at Jesus' feet signifies that they now have the freedom to choose who they're going to follow. And they've chosen that they're going to follow after Jesus. Obey him, be in relationship with him. What else did the townspeople see? They see that they're dressed. They've got clothes on. They're no longer naked. I mean, they can walk around and not be ashamed. Their dignity is restored. Their value is restored by their having clothing. Some of the basic physical needs we have are met with clothing. But there's also an allusion here to what may have happened spiritually. Because you see, a sign of our forgiveness that we receive from Jesus is that we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. That's what the Bible says. We're clothed with Jesus' righteousness. You see, we are sinful. And when we accept the fact that Jesus died for our sin and he forgives us of our sin and we surrender our life to him, it's almost like we are given brand new clothes to wear. Clothes of righteousness. Clothes of right standing before God in Jesus Christ. His clothing of righteousness covers up all of our wrongs, cleanses us from our sin, forgives us. The Bible speaks of clothing as well, that we are washed to be white as snow. We're washed. You might also remember that God made clothing for Adam and Eve. When they were naked in the garden and ashamed, God made clothing for them. He clothed them. 
as an act of grace, as an act of provision for them. And so when these demon-possessed men are clothed, it's a sign of grace. It's a sign of forgiveness. It's a sign of restoration. The last thing that the townspeople see is these men are in their right mind. They're no longer driven by the demons. They're in their right mind. They have a new mind. They have clarity to think and believe what is true. Their mind is renewed. They're delivered from evil. They're healed. They're made whole. This is what Jesus has the power and the authority to do. To heal and restore and bring life. So we're nearing the end here. And maybe this has raised some things for, for you. Like I said, that you need, to, you need to address in your life. Maybe you're at the point right now and you're saying, you know what, Kent, I agree. Jesus, I need you. Heal me. Forgive me. Make me whole. Deliver me. Renew my mind. Free me from the attacks that come my way. Just want to encourage you, bring your brokenness and bring your sin to Jesus. Talk with him about it. Ask him to forgive you. Receive that forgiveness in your life. And you know what? This will not be easy. This will not be easy. Because here's why. When we bring all of our messed upness, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all the stuff that's in us that we need Jesus to help us with and deal with, when we do that, we're going on the offense. We're going on the offense against Satan and his demons and his strategies. And he doesn't like that. This isn't easy, but it's so good when we do this. Because when we bring all of our junk, all of our messed upness to Jesus, and we put it before him, and we say, Jesus, I need your help to deal with this. He then gives us power and strength and authority, and we're healed. Sometimes it happens instantly. Sometimes this healing happens and restoration happens over time. But do this, do this. And here's one thing I'd add. Talk to Jesus about all this, but also talk to a trusted friend. Someone in your community group, someone in your missional community, someone you know, talk to a trusted friend and say, can I talk with you about some of the stuff that's going on in my life that I need Jesus' help with? Ask them to pray with you. Now, the other response is, you might be thinking, you know what? These demon-possessed men, I mean, they had it rough. (laughs) I agree, they had it rough. I can't relate to them at all. Maybe that's what you're thinking. I can't relate to them. Their story is not my story. Well, I want to tell you something. Their story is your story. Their story is my story. It's my story. It's your story. Look at what Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 says. As for you, you, you and me, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You were dead. You were dead. You and I were dead before we encountered Christ. We were dead. We were living in a graveyard. We were living, but we were dead. We were living among dead people, spiritually dead. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. We followed the ways of this world. We did whatever we wanted to do. No care about God's laws. No care about what was right or wrong. We just did whatever we wanted. We followed the, the desires of our hearts. We just followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air? That's Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's a spirit of rebellion that Satan and his demons bring about a spirit of rebellion. We were dead. This is who we are. When we read this, it doesn't sound so much different than the men who were demon possessed and the way they lived. That's who we were. Our story was their story. But God did something for us. Look at verses four and five. But because of his great love for us, God. But God did something. But God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. There it is again. We were dead. Dead in transgressions is by grace you have been saved. See, God in his great love for us, who was rich in mercy, showed us kindness in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his dying, he died so that we're no longer dead, but we're made alive. We're made alive with Christ. In spite of all that we've done, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of how we've been messed up, we are alive with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. How does all this happen? You see, Jesus traded places with us. Instead of us dying a final death because of our sin, Jesus died and he went to a graveyard. He went to a graveyard. He lived among the dead. He existed among the dead for three days. That was where he was, where he laid for three days. He was stripped naked. For everybody to see his dignity removed from him. He had scars, cuts on him. His body was broken for you and for me. Scars that he didn't put on his hands and his back and his side and his feet and his head. No, scars from others that scarred him and wounded him in that way. For us, he traded places with us. His blood was shed for our forgiveness for our sins so that we could be healed. The Bible says by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. You see, he laid down his power and authority and died on our behalf so that we could be healed and restored and brought back to life just like he was. He didn't stay in the tomb. He was raised back to life. Can you see can you see what grace we have received from Jesus Christ? Can you see what mercy and love God has for us? It's the same love and compassion, kindness and grace that was shown to two demon-possessed men. And they left that shoreline. Mark and Luke tell us they went and they told everybody what Jesus had done for them. They told everybody. 
So what's our response now? What I'd love for us to do is sing. Part of our living our lives in worship before God is singing. Part of living our lives is just being obedient to Jesus and following him and telling him what he's done for us. And we want to do that this week, wherever we go, whoever we're in touch with. But I want to hand this back now to our worship team. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs here, singing about the authority, the power, the name of Jesus that is so incredible. And so I would love for us all now, all around the world, wherever you are, all around Calgary, Airdrie, the surrounding area, all of us to sing these words today as our act of worship, as our act of love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us because of the authority that he has, the power that he has to heal us and restore us to life.